I'm trying to connect with the guys and the girls who they are, not uh-huh. with black people or white people or big women or whatever. I'm trying to connect to where you are as a human being and can you relate? And sometimes because I've been so cut off from, you know, I always say with big black women, especially, and I'm not like super fat, but I got them hugging boobs. Like, you know, that (laughs) I have had more of my white girlfriends cry on my chest, you know, because I'm just supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no consideration for, especially black women, what we think. Do we go home and cry? How do we feel? We are the most underrepresented group of people. We are, are, always miscategorized, always expected to protect ourselves and constantly dismissed and reduced to just being angry wildebeest walking around with an attitude ready to chop people off. Mm -hmm. So I have to deal with all of those things. And when I don't present that to an audience, it takes them time to understand that this is not what you expected. So it is a lot of being uncomfortable yeah. with whatever narrative that you've created. Welcome to the Underground Comedy Podcast with Sean Joyce. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com. Hey, what's up? Thanks for checking us out. This weekend, we got DC's Best Showcase at Big Hunt and Drew Michael at DC Draft House. You can get tickets and info on the website. Our guest today is Yamanika Saunders. Yamanika is a great comic who is originally from Baltimore and started doing stand-up when she was only 16. Since then, she has appeared on The Tonight Show, Crashing on HBO, and Comedy Central. Her latest stand-up special is available on Netflix as part of The Degenerates, and you can hear it each week on her podcast, Rant and Raven. In this conversation, we talk about how she got into stand-up, the challenges she faces as a woman of color, and the reality of trying to make it as a comic. I never even thought about the fact that there could be regular audience members at the cellar. Yeah. There, I mean, the cellar is like winning the lottery in terms of getting in. The, the shows sell out weeks in advance. Yeah. People have to really, I would say if you've never been to the cellar before uh-huh. and you want to see a show, don't uh-huh. chance it. I would get my reservations in really early. Uh-huh. Um, but there are people that come and, you know, li- either live in a neighborhood. We see... I wouldn't say it's so many regulars, like a Cheers restaurant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there are, you know, we have like maybe five or six people I, that I know that are always there. And Does you that know, impact what material you do? No, I, you know. You don't take it into consideration. I don't. You know, we're, in, it's, you know, New York is a showcase uh, city. So is, uh, you know, Los Angeles. So you, you don't really get away with, uh, doing 30, 40 minutes right. worth of material. So it's like they'll see different variations of the set because I obviously have longer set. I'm I'm working on a new hour. Um, so they'll see it. But then it's like car- compartmentalizing that hour, right, to like give it, a, you know, enough pump for like a 15, 20-minute set is different too. How long ago did your last album come out? Uh, It came out, <laughs> wait, because it just came out. I'm horrible. <laughs> but they, this year. It came out this year. Came out this year. Um I wanna say July something or the other. I think it came out like July twentieth. So like three weeks ago. Like maybe three weeks ago. Or okay. no, actually, because I'm dating someone now. We st- we started dating a little after the album, so 
it might have been March. Oh, brand new or relationship. Or April might be April twentieth or something. Yeah, it's a a brand new relationship, but I've known this person for a long time. Oh, okay. And uh, probably just I, you know, I, you know, there was stuff there. Oh yeah. But it just, and I'm not really big on uh, comedians, you know, right? Dating comedians, but I think the good thing about he and I is there's a age gap that kept us away from each other sort of so i knew him around the circumference of comedy yeah yeah not in your immediate circle no and uh and that probably has helped us thus far because i don't know all his garbage and he doesn't know mine yeah well that's nice yeah it's hard to avoid when you're a comic just because that's who you're around so much yeah and comics are they're similar type of people to you so you you like can relate to them very quickly yeah i mean i for you know surprisingly enough i think everybody thinks i like have a bunch of wild sex and sex and i'm having <laughs> sex with everybody and so you I, give a little bit of that impression i do but you know it's uh i'm i have a freedom because i you know i grew up religious uh-huh. uh very religious and you know my i'm a, a pk which is a preacher's kid so you know my grandparents were both pastors they had their own church. Wow. Um, my mother's a minister. My aunt's an evangelist. My other grandmother was like a Sunday school. She was my first Sunday school teacher. You know, was this all in Maryland? It's all in Maryland. What yeah. part of Maryland? Uh, Baltimore. Okay. So we went to a church called Christian Memorial, Christian Memorial Church on North Avenue, mm-hmm. and that was our first church. And then my grandparents branched off. They went to seminary college in their 40s they both got their doctorates in theology wow yeah and then they opened up their own church uh trinity praise center on baltimore street in baltimore and uh then they moved to schroeder street and you know we just did you think that you're going to end up in that same line of work yeah i mean i i still think i'm in that same line of work you you consider it to you you mean like you think comedy is the same type of work as being a preacher yeah yeah i think um the only difference is obviously I'm cursing, <laughs> you know. But talking about I, sex? I talk about sex, but I don't talk about sex a lot. I'm having sex, so I'm talking about sex, right? Uh-huh. But my news, because, you know, when I did, I, I have my half hour on Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, The Degenerates, uh-huh. and that those were all, like, raw, yeah, right. dirty sets. So everybody was, I just brought up all of the, the grunge, and really it wasn't, I mean, obviously, there's a joke in there where I talk about a guy coming on my face, but <laughs> even that was pure, right? It's it's more about the experience, and I think, you know, you'll watch somebody and you go, oh, they're just, it's just superfluous that they're talking about sex, versus I was really giving my experience as being an inexperienced woman and um, trying to catch up to all the girls my age because I didn't lose my virginity until 27. I had no Whoa. idea what I was doing. And then I was saying yes to everything just because I, I was 27 and I thought I needed to say yes to everything because at 27 I should know how this feels and that feels and have done this already. And I was just completely messing up. So as much uh-huh. as it – and it was and it's graphic, right? Sure. But it's not – like you know i'm andrew dice clay and you know i put my you know or even like one of my favorite people in the world who's no longer here patrice o'neill who would just and even patrice would just talk about stuff and yeah it's dirty yeah he's cursing but really it's the undertone it's personal too yeah it's very personal personal experience um but now when people see me they're like oh like oh there's no really no sex i had i'm like yeah because i'm not 
I was I, I talk about things that make me curious mm-hmm. and I was really curious about sex and a lot of that stuff the material from that came when I was a virgin mm-hmm. and I was always thinking about like <laughs> oh I'm gonna have this like Prince Charming come and sweep me off my feet uh-huh. you romanticize it when you haven't had sex and then you have sex and you're just like oh it sounds like this oh it looks like this oh it feels like this oh it's not as great as I thought or okay I guess I have to you know tolerate this did you how long did it take for you to be like all right i now i now i know that it's not going to be like a fairy tale to get to the point where you're like feeling normal about sex where you're like oh it's just i like it it's fun it happens sometimes like did it take you a long time to to like go through the pro because normally you go through that process of like you're a teenager mm-hmm. then you're in college like you yeah. have all those different experiences you're bad in different ways you don't right. understand all these different that. things right and then because i had to do that with drinking and drugs because i didn't drink or do drugs until i was 28 and okay. so then i i then you went hog wild yes yeah and i went through i tried to do everything i wanted and i felt like i had to do it fast to catch up because I, I also had to learn everybody was hanging out with has already been drinking and doing drugs. They already knew oh, how to yeah, do it. They know how to do it in a way like I, <laughs> I used to, when I first uh, started working at New York comedy club bef- uh, under its old uh, management and ownership of Al Martin. Um, I still work there now with Emilio. Uh, mm-hmm. Emilio has taken over, but um, I had never drank and, I had alcohol and it was like one sip of anything. Like I would get drunk off a triple second. Triple sec's not even alcohol. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? It's uh, like, yeah, yeah. I'd be like, what? <laughs> and I mean, they would be, I was the How old mo- were you then? I was 23 going on 24. Okay. And because um, when I first moved, I started doing stand up in the, my senior year in high school. Mm-hmm. And then I was in LA for a while. I just, I'm not Where were you L- living when you were a senior in high school? Los Angeles. Okay. I moved from Maryland to Los Angeles to go to the LA County High School for the Arts and I studied theater. So Did you I go by yourself? Accepted. No, my mother was already there. Okay. My mother wanted me to go to Fame and, you know, LaGuardia High School in New York, but I was like, nah, because I only had one relative that was in New York that could yeah. take me at the time. And it was like my misogynistic great uncle. And I'm like, I ain't gonna be cooking and cleaning for this motherfucker all day long. Yeah. So I, my, they we found Loxa, which was in Los Angeles. And they had stand-up, you know, my last year in high school. And my mother was taking stand-up classes with Judy Carter. And then she went over to take classes with Sandy Shore. So she was like, you should do stand-up. I was like, ugh. <laughs> Oh, I'm not doing that. I'm such a, I'm a legitimate no, actress. Do you know how a few people have parents like recommend them to do stand up when I they're know. in high school? <laughs> you know what? You should get into stand up. Well, what parent gives is, that advice? And she doesn't even want to take the credit for it. Cause she's like, no, you, cause I'm like, mom, if it wasn't for you, I'd never have done stand up. She's like, oh no, but it was, you know, it was just that one thing. I'm like, no, it was a big thing. It got <laughs> yeah, me yeah, started yeah. in stand up. Yeah. So when they offer stand up my senior year, she was like, you should audition. And I was like dead set against it. But I, the deal was that I would audition to get into the class. It and if I got accepted, she would leave me alone about uh-huh. it. So she tricked you. She did. Cause look, look at you now. I know you're fully tricked. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. I would have. I don't know. But then I remember getting my first laugh, and I was like, "Oh, I got uh, this. Is awesome." Yeah, it's so, exciting. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel fortunate. Because you never, like, you look back, if people look back at their lives and they go, how did I get involved in this thing that is really 
a huge part of my life. You, some people don't know where to trace it back. And yeah. I have a place where it's like, oh, yeah, we were kind of on this trajectory with me being in theater. And, you know, I've studied theater. I am classically trained in the theater. Comedy is a natural progression to that of some sorts. When did you start going to mics and stuff? When I was 16. <laughs> yeah, I went. I, I, my first mic that I did was I did the lottery at the comedy store. <laughs> wow. And my mother used to have to drive me on Sundays, you know, because I needed a guardian with yeah. me. Yeah. I did my first showcase before. So how I wound up doing the, the three-minute, you know, lottery at the comedy store is I eventually, after I finished my comedy class at LOXA under uh, Norman Cohen, may he rest in peace, was like really brilliant helping me get out like the things that I was holding restricting back right so he's like don't worry don't never worry about what people think about you when you have something to say mm -hmm. and I've run with that yeah well yeah you really do yeah I don't care like and because when people meet me off the stage they're like oh you <laughs> you know i'm kind of shy yeah yeah you know and reserved uh -huh. and like i have this whole other and then when i go on stage it's just like whatever this is what i feel so i'm just gonna tell you what i've been feeling uh -huh. like and what i've been thinking and i'm sure you think this or whatever um but i took that class with him and then i went to do uh, a class with sandy shore mm -hmm. and i it ended in a showcase for the class and her we were blessed because her father sammy shore hosted that showcase so i'm 16 years old wow. i remember them telling me i had to go on first because you know I, i'm a teenager like i'm underage and I, I think it was something about the alcohol at a certain point when they start to serve alcohol or a certain time of night where i just can't really be there i mean i don't know where all this stuff changed because now i do shows and there's kids i'm like oh really what did mickey mouse die like i don't understand like i was at caroline's a couple weeks ago and it was just like why are there so many 16 and 17 year olds with their parents? I don't like to see a 16 year old in comedy shows, really. If their parents aren't cool, yeah, I don't want to see, you know, them. But certainly below 16, no, I don't no, want to no, see no, at no. all. It's like at some point, I think there's probably a daycare at the hotel you could leave this yeah. kid at. Um, but I took that class and then we had the showcase and. Right after Sammy was like, he came up to me. He's like, you know, kid, you're really good. He was like, how old are you? I was like, I'm 16. He's like, okay, don't do another class. He's like, just, you should just start going to do those, do the Sunday lottery. I think you're ready. You got something. So I just started going and doing those lotteries. And, it, you know, that was really a builder there because, you know, I'm still, I remember I almost missed my prom because I had a spot. Like, you know. <laughs> That's cool. Like, yeah, but when I think about it, because now I'm 40, like so much time has, you know, passed. And I'm just like, wow, I really, you know, no matter what, I guess, with, with stand-up, I really dedicated myself to this. I didn't waver and do anything else. It was like, you know, even when I went to college, it completely switched what, like what I went to college for, because I was going to study theater management. My goal was to run a 50 seat theater in New York City wow. and build it up under my name. That's cool. And all of that went out the window. And maybe you still will do something well, like that. Maybe. But I mean, you had theater management is a thing like you have to really. Well, you could be like a not not like get your hands dirty theater management. You could be <laughs> oversee it, you know, oversee. I like to get my hands dirty, it, you though. know. Yeah, I guess. I guess I could. But that's where I was really like wanting to be behind the scenes and yeah. really kind of build up something from 
from nothing you know that's so. a cool idea yeah. so what did you think about taking those classes I, uh, comics are so anti-classes mm-hmm. uh, i don't know why yeah, I, mean, I don't either because i went on to take some other classes i took a class my mother was actually very instrumental in like researching one because the goal was uh, this college thing i don't know because i remember i had an audition for juilliard mm-hmm. and i had already auditioned for tish and did not get in and i was shocked i was like <laughs> what <laughs> what i did not i just knew i was getting into tish just i just knew it so that kind of like shook me and uh-huh. then i was like i remember um you know cuz i went to perform in our high school so everything was kind of set up for us to audition for places like that um and i just remember there was the juilliard audition and I'm not saying I was a shoe-in for Julia because I thought I was a shoe-in for Tish and I didn't right. get in. But I just remember the requirements of, like, if you go to Juilliard, you cannot practice your discipline the four years that you're there. You have to focus in on the study. I mean, that's why these people that come from Juilliard, they're so brilliant like you know it's like even the least of them is like better than any of us could ever be because and i think and i now as an adult i can appreciate like let's really focus on the craft i think some people push put the cart before ahead of the horse right and it's like you don't need to be auditioning you don't need to be doing movies or whatever trying to do tv da 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 you need to really learn this get this skill in and then by the time you've learned this with the dedication that we have and the high level of, you know, skill that we teach here, you'll go out and you'll be heads and shoulders above everybody else who's sort of just been floundering, trying to make things happen. And that's evident of Juilliard. That's why they have such an excellent name. But for me, I was like, I definitely don't even want to waste time getting rejected from a place that I know I'm not going to, I need to be doing stand up right now, every day on, you know, so when we talk about, like I started at 16, I really didn't start to see any real light until I was like 32 years old. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a long time. Well, so what'd you do all during that time? Like, I, I just, mean, you know, obviously you're going up, Yeah. you're getting spots and, yeah. and then did you do colleges ever? Well, I, I know I did, I did cl- more classes. My mother was like, you should keep, you know, learning. So she, um, my first comedy class in new york city i took with sean murphy who's um at broadway comedy club and at new york comedy club or was at new york comedy club and he had a class i audited one class from him and really sweet guy still see him to this day and he always reminds me like almost 20 something years later he's like yeah remember your mom because my mom like emailed him or something or called him it was like my baby's coming to take care (laughs) Uh, so I took that class and then I went to the, uh, comedy Institute in New York city and I took a couple classes there and it, you know, it's nobody's teaching you how to be a comic. And I think that's what people are like, I don't want to be taught. I can't be taught. You cannot be taught how to do stand up. but what it does is it starts to move the wheels. I'm always for, people moving the wheels when it comes to comedy and structure joke writing things you know oftentimes one of the one of the biggest regrets i have about myself and sometimes how people they really don't get me what they miss about me is the nuance of what i'm saying is structured you mm-hmm. understand but it's 
packaged with all this craziness, right? And all this like nonsense and harshness that people don't, it's like, it's never what I, what, it's never what you really hear me saying. It's the last thing that yeah. I say. I spend more time trying to talk to you about the bullshit and then, oh, and here, this is what it was. Right. Next thing. Right. And that's really learning how to write and the structure of that and then being involved in, you know, having to do stand up so much now and having to, uh, some people aren't prepared when it's time for them to do stand up mm -hmm. legitimately. I had, you know, almost 15 years in the trenches of nothing. And I started seeing people fall off left and right. Of course. You understand? I have friends who I'm like, this person cannot not be a star. And th and now if you ask me where I don't know where they are or they're like settled down with a the family. They've got to get a regular job because, you know, comedy does not pay any bills really until you get on television. Yeah. And even when you get on television, I'm telling you right now, I have a Netflix. I have a Comedy Central. I have an album out on Comedy Central Records. I've done the monologue with J uh, Jimmy Fallon. At least four times I have written. I'm I'm on historical roast on Netflix. I've written for shows. I have uh, True TV. I'm constantly on stuff with them. Laugh Mob, uh, I, Comedy Central stuff. Uh, I've done digital stuff with them. I'm on This Week at the Cellar. All this stuff, and I'm still like, oh, I need money. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like I'm still there because it just. You know, the more money you make, the more people you have to have with you and the more yeah. money you're sp like. So it's like if. Because you have to become a professional, right? So you have to get the professional services. Yeah. You I mean, you have it's p some people don't whatever, but they eventually have to because that's the fucked up part of the business is that there are people who don't have access to the people that can get them in the doors that they need to get into, which, I, you know, is a double-edged sword with all the Instagram stuff now because more people are being seen, but then also more people that don't need to be seen are being seen, you yeah. know? And then it becomes more sensational uh, in terms of, like, the, oh, this person can make me laugh in, like, 10 seconds, even though they ain't really saying nothing. It's all goofy. But then also that depreciates the value of what we're doing because it's like if I can go to Instagram and see this thing for, like, a minute – and not pay anything, yeah. then why am I going to get my ass up and go see a live show unless I know that person's name? So now it's all about building a name. Dry. I mean, all the time it's about the business for me. Like, even when I'm trying to do shows and they're like, with all that I've done, they're like, oh, but you don't have a million fans. And I'm like, I know, but the fans I have, they love me, I'm, I, but they're all spread out all over the world. And you can't, it's all about, let's get Yamanika to the place where everybody's just like, oh, I know Yamanika. I know I want to go see her. Yeah. So that they recognize her name. I, I'm i doing Gramercy Theater in New York City uh -huh. August 23rd at 9 p.m. Hopefully, if people hear this, they come out if they're in New York. But um, there's a girl... I can't think of her name now. It escapes me because I don't know. But she's, a in, she's an internet person. Like, she's an Instagram person. Mm -hmm. And so I've been trying to get like, you know, we're doing all right, I guess. You know, we've been struggling trying to get that show off the ground because I'm also in this like you ain't really got to go see me headline because I'm, you know, people don't understand. You really need to see this show because this is me and just me. Right. It's doing like an hour versus you seeing like little microwave bites of me doing yeah. stand up wherever at in the city. 
this girl, she's just an Instagram lady, and not to say that she wasn't, they said her history was like an actress or something like that, and you know, she's done that, but she's millions of fans, she has three sold out shows, like they sold out like, like I was looking at my ticket, I'm like, oh, my ticket's still, like at some point, we might have to cut out some cardboard people and put them yeah. in the audience <laughs> and like ask a charity to sponsor us. This girl sells out flat, but it's because her name is big on Instagram. Right. But also, I'm looking like let me. I wanted to just see if there was any stand up I could see of hers, just to see like, oh, there is stand up that she's doing. So people, there's something right. that people could grab a hold of to say, oh yeah, I want to see more of this. There's no, no stand up. They don't she's, need it. No. She's famous for making funny pit remaking even, funny pictures, and I'm like, but this is who you're gonna go. S- and they I don't, don't know. even care. They don't care. And you, I don't know. Maybe what, the girl's amazing, but I mean, like, you don't know. You have no evidence of whether this girl can do anything and you've bought these tickets i've i've been at a couple shows with those types of people that mm-hmm. have followings that aren't real stand-ups and the people just want to see them in person that's it they all yeah. they just want to see the person that they listen to uh, in you know when they're working or whatever driving and then they're they're in the same room and now they're talking live that's all they care about yeah. the, the the show is not even important to them so i think it's really like a, it's like a totally different thing. You're not even really going for the sake of seeing a show. It's like you're just seeing a person. It's like an appearance. It you is know? an appearance. And wh- anytime there's a comedy show and then you got to do a QA, and a Yeah, yeah. You know, like it, you're going to do 30 minutes and then 15 of it is a Q&A. I, I'm like, what am I doing? Because I'm like legit doing stand-up. But then it's also like I've been on shows where – there was this one girl. I don't want to even get. I'm not, you know, for to the sake of not being messy. <laughs> nobody knows the girl stand up. She's on a very, very popular show and a TV show. A very popular television show, and uh, they asked me to go on after this girl, mm-hmm. and I was like, absolutely not, because I'm not gonna have her go on in front of me and then. It's almost like I'm the sweep up, like I'm Carol Burnett sweeping yeah, up whatever yeah, yeah, little yeah. time is left, uh-huh. because then they've they've climaxed with her, right? Um, but I I got talked into it because I the club owner we're really close, and I was like, okay, fine, like you know that's the bad part of me, like I'm such an affectionate person and a loving person. I'll, I like know all the club owners; they all love me, and then I'm then I regret it because then I have to do stuff that I wouldn't really want to do. Uh-huh. So I wound up doing the show. And right away off the rip there, everybody's standing applaud, like, cause they want to see this person live. They don't know the girls stand up. There's right. really no evidence of it anywhere. And, <laughs> and after a while you hear like, ah, ah, uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so now I'm going on after this person everyone is sort of like uh because to them they came out to see this person in particular which was sort of unfortunate because they were in a showcase kind of environment so it's like you they saw about maybe five or six comics before this person and then they're seeing a comic after right so they start to feel like there's a build-up to the show and that person because they're going on late they what they think is last they have no idea that i'm going up after this person that they are the highlight and the top of the show so it you know the first comic always gets either a bad set 
because it's like people aren't warmed up yet right, or right. people are more tolerant the first two comics because they're like oh it's almost like a handicapped yeah, person yeah. running in a marathon it's like oh <laughs> look at yeah. them yeah, yeah. you know because we know we're getting ready to get more stuff yeah, yeah. and then like around the third or fourth comic if they you know it's like all right we what's going on okay all right okay 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 that last comic is like this is supposed to be the most prof- they think it's levels of proficiency that's the where worst. you go up that's the worst way to set up a show with an internet person putting them in the middle of a show oh a thousand you couldn't put it a worse you a couldn't thou- do a worse thing this was the, this was a tv tv is just as bad if you don't establish and i went up after and i had to like fucking i had to it was like nobody was giving me anything because they're like, well, this person that we came to see that we love didn't give us what we needed. Most certainly this girl ain't going to give yeah. it. And then by the end of it, it's like people come to me like, oh, you know, who are you? I'm right, always right. like, who, who are you? Yeah, person? yeah, yeah. Who are you? Where can I find? How come I don't know where you? It does. I think but I think it's a very common reaction to you. Yeah. Why don't we know who you are? Why it seems like we should. Why don't that's you know it's the same reaction that Tony Woods gets at Big Hunt. Tony Woods is a genius, and you know the thing about Tony is there's like there's like a kind of like a cavalier kind of like you know like he's everybody that you know and he's everything that you think and he gives you like all that stuff but also calmly you know like right, yeah. it's a sense of like. If you're gonna give me some bad news, I need I need the least anxious person yeah. to give me yeah, a yeah. reality uh-huh. check. Cause if you are the tad bit anxious, then I become defensive. So Tony's really good in that regard. I think my biggest problem, I've said this a thousand times. I said if I was a white woman, I would have already blown because white women have us they have a span to be uh, the all these things without being mislabeled. Like mm. I remember, you know, I, and I love Amy Schumer, but I remember her special coming out, and one of her first jokes was like uh, mucus in her panties, and I'm like, I could never get away with. They would completely call me blue and nasty and yeah. raw, and I'm like, she doesn't have to. Not that she doesn't have her own cross to bear, because she does. She gets a lot of pressure on her, but it's like there's still a way to be like Amy Schumer is like, you know, America's darling. You know what I mean? Like she tells it like it is for the women and nobody's going to label her this dirty, nasty, raw comic. And I get labeled that all the time, no matter what the fuck I'm talking about, just for the simple, it's so funny as a fuck, but just from the, just because I am a big black woman. And I think what also happens is, and maybe you saw a little bit of this last night, but I deal with this a lot. I don't have to deal with it in New York because New York is, if as progressive as New York is, whenever I encounter people who are not progressive in New York or tourists or whatever, just New Yorkers yeah. even, I'm I can call them on their shit because I'm in my home to really call them on their yeah. shit. And in LA, they're just scared of me because it's yeah. like, oh, who you know? It comes a point in time where we as a society we think certain things about men and we think certain things about women we think certain things about white men and we think certain things about men of color we think certain things about white women and certain things about women of color and i don't necessarily like if you on tone right where it's like i'm gonna tell you like it is there is obviously some level of cursing I meet those aesthetics of being, oh, a big black woman, like, oh, she, but it's none of that, like, 
You know what I mean? You know, it's like yeah, none yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah. So a lot of times I see white people looking at me and they're dumbfounded because it's like, oh, where's all this context coming from? Uh-huh. Why is her train of thought not something that's comfortable for me? Like, I'm not talking about my need for a man or my need yeah. for like, even my weight shit is like, I'm almost out of that because I don't, I'm getting fucked by some guy who loves big girls. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like, so that it it's more like I'm trying to connect with the guys and the girls who they are, not uh-huh. with black people or with white people or big women or whatever. I'm trying to connect to where you are as a human being and can you relate? And sometimes because I've been so cut off from, you know, I always say with big black women, especially, and I'm not like super fat, but I got them hugging boobs. Like, you know, that <laughs> yeah. I have had more of my white girlfriends cry on my chest, you know, because I'm just supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no consideration for especially black women. What we think, do we go home and cry? How do we feel? We are the most underrepresented group of people. Yeah. We are uh, always miscategorized always expected to protect ourselves and constantly dismissed and reduced to just being angry wildebeest walking around with an attitude ready to chop people off Mm -hmm. so i have to deal with all of those things and when i don't present that to an audience it takes them time to understand that this is not what you expected so it is a lot of being uncomfortable with whatever narrative that you've created. And I'm this black person that does, you know, (laughs) I had a white guy say to me one time, he goes, you know, you smart. We was looking at, it was deep in the South. He was like, you know, we're looking at you like, who's this uppity nigga? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And and I felt that it was like, what can I say? I was like, I get it because who is this nigga on stage that has enough esteem in herself to not feel like she got to kowtow to white people and make them feel comfortable with the things that Uh she's saying. Who's this nigga? Yeah. And a lot of times with the industry, they don't know who this nigga is either. And they don't know how to re, you know, reprocess yes. me yeah. so that they can spoon feed me to yes. white people. So it's easier to put some different levels of black women that are very comfortable and accessible. They do it with white men as well. They do it with white women. They do it with black men. They they do it with gay people. Course, it's like whatever America can digest in the Disneyland version of whatever it is, you're going to find that comic right away at a young age. And then people like Lewis Black and, you know, people that are really saying George Carr and prior you see those people later on in life when it's like they've really come into their own nobody gives a fuck anymore they found some level of a fan base that the fan base is ready to move them forward like i feel my fan base kind of coming together and like oh bitch we just gonna put you somewhere because we trying to see you see yeah that's right and it takes time have you felt like your like your idea of like what was going to propel your career forward has changed over like the past five years as Instagram and other social medias like become a bigger deal. And people are starting to try to cultivate their own fan base Mm -hmm. separate from industry because you, you've had a lot of success within industry getting on a lot of different shows. Oh, I'm yeah. And and as much as I talk about the industry, I've had a lot of success in it, but I also am 
I remember watching a documentary with uh, Nicki Minaj uh-huh. right before she broke, and they were doing a, you know, you could feel it, and she was coming out of her album, and they were record, they were videotaping her for like MTV or something like that, and she's like, you know, I'm so tired of making everybody else's shit hot. I'm ready to make my own shit hot. She's like, I can drop a verse here, and and everybody's gonna be on the Billboard 100 with my verse because I I make the song, and that's what I feel like. People are booking me to make their show. Like, oh, we got to get an element of Yam here. Yes. We got to get it. So because I'm such an element of other people's shows, and I haven't had my own thing that's hit, that's why I'm getting lost in the sauce. Yes. Nobody would have ever known who Tiffany Haddish was. No, nobody. And then she got into a movie that was the perfect storm for her because nothing against Jada Pinkett Smith, who I love and is also from Maryland like I am, and Queen Latifah and, uh, and uh, the other young woman that uh, my name escapes me right now. I have no idea why it escapes me because I just was talking about her yesterday, which the movie was actually supposed to be her movie. Tiffany comes in and she has this comedic tone and it was like, who's this wild Thundercat we ain't never seen before, right? right. And then people go instantly because she's at a, at a movie level with superstars where more people have access to see her. Now people are into seeing her. So it doesn't matter whether she's funny or not, not to say that she's not, right? Mm -hmm. So then when you have people who have bought into this, she's now, her whole life has changed. Oh yeah, She is the name, especially when it comes to the go-to for black female comics. So the rest of us just got to scrounge for whatever we can scrounge. Mm -hmm. And then you see, oh, she bombed at New Year's Eve and so on, so on, so. And I go, and when people talk to me about it, I go, yeah, but did she bomb? Did she bomb? Now, she's coming out with a story saying that she was drunk and she acknowledges the bomb, but I guarantee you she probably didn't even bomb. What I guarantee you is people that went to go run out and see her in droves just know her name and didn't know her damn set. Yeah. And have uh, some other idea that she's this character that she's playing when she's somebody that talks about other things that is not this character that Mm -hmm. he fell in love with. So, on one end, would I love to have a, a career like Tiffany Haddish and have a name recognizable and stand up this business that I I have dedicated my life almost missed the prom have not had a family because of haven't had a really productive relationship because I don't have time for it Mm -hmm. or the children that I don't want because of it haven't really seen my family you know had to miss my grandfather's funeral because I'm taping like these are the things that I have gone through in my life what I do I want to be here at 40 years old absolutely not but at the same time I'm glad that I am here. Yeah. Because it's all on my terms. If mm-hmm. I make it, I make it. I don't, I don't. Can I survive in comedy? Can I continue to move forward and evolve? I have moved from being a shy girl from Maryland who talked to herself because she didn't have a lot of friends, didn't grow up with her half sisters, you know, only child around people much older than her to then move to Los Angeles, get all these weird kids under my belt, you know, dealt with a lot of racism in Maryland, being one of like three black kids. And then at one point only black kid to then going to Los Angeles where everybody's like loving up on each other was like emo for like two days or something went wild. Then moved to New York, really build like all of that stuff is in my stand-up and all of that stuff makes me who I am and every step of the way 
I'm building on that. I'm giving it out. I'm letting it go. I'm building new. I guarantee you And after this hour that I have now, the next hour is going to be completely different because I have different experiences. Yeah, that's cool. And I'm growing, right? And it's it's ne- there is no end point. I think we have a lot of end points in comedy where people are like, oh, this is the set, this is the set, this is the defining set. Yeah, it's yeah. like nothing defines a stand-up in stand-up you're this is just the time you're in that you're talking about and then you're gonna go talk about something else absolutely and if we saw talking about the same shit that we was talking about at 20 at 40 and 40 at 60 then you haven't done stand-up right yeah it's a problem and you can see it happen to some comics where they're interested in certain topics and then they just they hammer those topics Mm -hmm. for so long that it becomes tiresome and you're just like "I, i get i understand you know, you're ju- like you're feeling about no, this you get topic. tired. Uh, you get some people, but some people don't. I mean, I'm fortunate, right? Because there is nothing off limits. I don't hide anything from the world. Yeah. And because of that, I used to get, oh, well, you know, she's just really personable. Oh, she just tells all her business. And she's just like, you know, people don't want to acknowledge that. It takes a lot to go on stage and lay your thoughts bare, and it takes almost nothing to just go in and faction a joke and then throw it to people that means nothing to you. Every time I tell people something, it means the world to me because that's my life I'm giving them to judge. And not everybody can communicate their feelings and their life like not everybody even if you if you say like i'm gonna be i'm just gonna go on stage and like Mm -hmm. tell it like it is well there's a there's a lot that goes in between your thoughts and life experience and being able to communicate that to a crowd in a way that is enjoyable to can i challenge you to say that that may not really be true you think anyone can do it Mm -hmm. You, you think but you think that just right off the bat you without i don't know if they would be successful at making it funny yeah but I think when, see, let me tell you what I've said to people. Yeah, I keep it real, right? I keep it real, and I and I and I have I can tell it like it is, right? Be- You're good at putting your ideas into words. Yeah, but you know that's also being a, a kid talking to themselves until he was like ten and still had an uh-huh. imaginary friend that they could obviously see, and people thought I was crazy. But you know, I do. I can do it. Because, and I mean, I can say those words, like, keep it real. I can say those things, like, I tell it like it is. Because I'm regurgitating what people have told me they they feel from me. Yeah. But I never went into telling it like it is. And I never went into telling, keeping it real. I never said, I'm about to keep it real. And so the minute somebody says they about to keep it real, they about to tell it like it is, they're either going to bullshit yeah. into keeping something real or telling something like they think it is. Or the cockiness of that is that they're going to preach to people about some nonsense that only they believe in. And I'm not interested in um, telling people what I think they should hear, nor am I, I'm telling you like things that are very frustrating for me. And I process that like, you know, now it's I'm on this. I've never really been on a feminist kick, and I'm not a feminist at all, and I will never stand up because feminist feminism has a lot of issues that need to be addressed before I can get on board with it. Namely, the displacement of a lot of uh, issues for women yeah, of color who yeah. suffer the most. Um, but I am a woman, which of course. you know, so I don't have to justify whether I'm a feminist or not because I am a woman. 
Um, but the movement is has problems. The obviously the movement has problems, and I've been I'm part of different women's organizations, and I'm just like, yeah, no, is if there is uh, if we're not understanding that women of color double down on not only just sexual harassment, but um, economic disenfranchisement course, and all yeah, kinds yeah. of things like that, and we're not focusing on like if there's only maybe. 20% of the uh, nation's funds that go to women issues that less than maybe a one or 2% of that is allocated to women of color, then I, I can't be a part of it. Um, but I am a woman. So yay women. Right. Um, but now it's the, when I go on stage, I, I talk about like being this woman and coming into my own and some of the things that I deal with in my insecurities or body issues the things I have to overcompensate for that I am no longer willing to overcompensate for and I want other women to know that like if we really want to push the dial forward then there's just shit you have to acknowledge and so I'll go into all this stuff about ugly men being with beautiful women and mm -hmm. how women just start settling and then you know this my favorite thing is to talk about these tampon commercials. It makes me laugh. It's one of my few jokes that makes me laugh about mm -hmm. how those things go and how men just sort of like plunk themselves into women's um, ideologies. And then somehow we reprocess those things and think it's our idea that no, you know, that, oh, no, we just want to look beautiful. It's like, girl, no. Um, yeah, a woman invented Spanx, but she was heavily influenced by men who didn't want to see a fupa. Right. Um, subconsciously whether she wants to acknowledge that or not that's all about reshaping your body to appeal to a man because uh woman to woman uh i understand if you got a butt gut <laughs> and i got a butt gut that we just got to figure out how to just dress up that butt gut without <laughs> restricting that butt yeah, gut yeah, to yeah. be a whole different shape of bitch and I'll see women like <laughs> tighten up because they're with a man. You know, people come to comedy and they on dates. Yeah. And then these women sit there and they're silent or they're looking around. And there's a few like mostly the lesbians who don't have to please a man uh -huh. are like, yeah, girl. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. or the women that already got their husband locked down. Like, she's been with this nigga for 20 years. His name's Ted. He ain't going to where they eat hostess cakes on the weekend. She's like, yeah, I get it. Right. But this cute, young, new bitch doesn't want to let the guy know that she's feeling and vibing. I see the bitch's eye. So sometimes I got to go, you know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know that this shit. And it's like, yes, let's just fucking say it. And that's probably the most of an agenda, if there is an agenda with me that I've ever had, is just, like, what responsibility do I have to, like, making everything make sense for the girls that are coming up to know, like, yeah, we probably fucked up some stuff. Like, the women in their 40s, we fucked up some stuff for y'all. But we, <laughs> but just always know, we didn't fuck it up as bad as our mothers fucked it up for us. And we didn't fuck it up as bad as our grandmothers fucked it up for them. Yeah. So it's just a trickle down of, like, a new... And then in about 20 years, it's going to shift. And then men are going to have to start giving men pep talks about how to not be marginalized and desensitized by women because these new... Young crop of bitches that's coming up on industrial <laughs> strength, and I don't know how the men are going to do it because this old Archie Bunker sort of idea of of dealing with women um, is going out the window very fast. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if um, if younger guys are going to be able to evolve the same at the same speed, and and they will be have different attitudes and and be cool, or 
if it's uh you know the meatheadedness is like inherent in men and and then they are gonna have problems well i think it's how much we focus on things right like every generation is like oh we we're we're gonna end racism and then it's like oh but you can't because it's these little sleeper cells that you know they're being raised in an environment it's a racism is a legacy passed down from generation to generation and because racism is behind closed doors and doesn't have to be evident we you'd never see a father telling his son it's okay to think that niggas are second rate but that attitude continues Mm -hmm. but you sort of come out with the machismo of like women are less than men and we see that and that's vocalized outwardly because mm-hmm. men are out in the world saying that and that goes across color lines even black men who don't get the benefit of being white men still get the benefit of being a man so they get the benefit of also thinking that women are sub categories and subsections of the culture right. and then we become a subsection of this whole society that you know we don't really get to embrace that's why white women also have it a lot better than women of color because they right. get to embrace the whiteness so we 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 will see a new new young guy come out but we will always see racism continue on and but i talk about those things too like that's all the stuff in my new hour like the idea that we i am totally fine with there being um white people that want to keep themselves separate from people of color i'm completely fine with that okay at the same time as long as it doesn't infringe on me right so if you're in a public environment and you're a white person that wants to keep yourself away from people of color people that you think are underneath you you do not uh, you are not allowed in a environment where people have to coexist out in public Mm -hmm. to express or try to adhere your views to other people but in your home if you don't want no black people in your home you're willing your right to that and i speak on that because it's like we become a world that wants everybody to acknowledge that everything is okay and sometimes everything ain't okay to people mm-hmm. i've lgbtq friends you know that are gay and i'm a christian and always like well how are you a christian and what do you think about christianity because christianity is completely against yeah. homosexuality and i said listen here's where i here's where i stand on that you cannot force Christians into believing that LGBTQ, gay, and homosexuality is right. That is their religion. That is what they believe. Now, you find some Christians who don't believe that. They sure, believe course, God yeah. loves everybody, and I am one of those Christians. I also am not in my right to tell a Christian who believes that that they have a problem because you are also gay or whatever because they got shit in the bible about blacks supposed to be slaves and slave and you know all kinds kinds of shit in the old testament that they keep trying to bring to the new testament all this stuff so i'm like and then people go oh that's a cop-out no it's not a cop-out i'm a the most free we're going to be in this world is allowing a motherfucker to be free in who they are now if the Westboro Church, them niggas, yeah, we gonna say something about them because they going around, yeah, that, yeah, deliberately, uh-huh. right, stomping their whatever they think they truth is yeah. on shit. If there's people out there that are beating up gay people, 
killing gay people. Yeah, of they, course, of course, gay of course. trans being killed. Oh, oh, seri- don't ain't nobody giving a fuck about that. Yeah. That's what I give a fuck about. Why aren't we doing? Why are there so many black trans uh, people being murdered? I'm not worrying about whether fucking Donald Trump likes gay people or not. He don't even like his own hair. So when we talk about, um, I talk about the pronouns too, like the he, she, it, they, everybody, they, he, they. And I'm like, okay, so that's totally fine for this new generation that hasn't already been programmed into whatever programs we've been programmed into. I have friends who have completely transitioned on me, and it is hard for me to remember sometimes that that's not, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Steve anymore. Right. And Stacy. Yeah. You know, it doesn't. But are they under? They're understanding though, aren't they? They are. And I get better. Like I have a friend who's trans, and I have not, and I don't get to see her as much, right? So, ev- so the second I see her, I'm like, hey, and I call her by her birth name. And I catch myself. I have to catch myself. Yeah. But if we start to go, if you don't respect my pronoun and who, I, and then it's like, so now you've pushed me into this category with the people that hate you when it's just yeah. I'm just somebody that may not be getting it or or slip or miss we got to start really focusing in on where the real problems are yeah where to fight and where to fight because we've become so I am completely LGBTQ as liberal as possible at, but I'm also a Christian you understand I'm also a straight woman do you understand what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so if you start pushing me because i'm not fitting into all your little categories and you start pushing me away and now you don't push me over here with this like republican conservative dude i ain't got i I don't have shit to share with him right because i can't even fit in a place that really makes me the most comfortable we start to alienate and that's what i'm starting to see which i i think is very scary is people starting to inside this liberal was supposed to be fun house where everybody gets to be who they are there are people that don't feel like they can be because we have to acknowledge that there are still gay men who will be like i won't date a black guy because we don't have black like you got the nerve to still be racist and you but you get right or we got you know like people saying i don't believe trans is a real thing when you got people who are trans doing their thing you like yeah yeah or bisexuality isn't real or you know we oh we are a lot of dirty shit in this fun house it's yeah it it is uh you do see people start to react to it who were kind of in the middle and didn't really have like a political opinion at all but Mm -hmm. that but they're they get attacked for certain, you know, just like you're saying about being Christian or about being like a white man. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I like try pretty hard to like be open-minded and just, and not take any of that stuff personally at all. I don't feel like it's like any, anybody says something about white men. Like I don't necessarily feel like it's directed at me or like even, or maybe, you know, maybe there are bad things about the way I think about things and the way I do things. But there are guys who, uh, I think I feel like it's pushing them, it's almost it's pushing them 
to the right. It's like making them conservative. Oh, yeah. It's like it's turning them into in, Republicans. It, 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 and, you know, it's so funny because I'll put up a thousand things. I'll put up some posts and, like, you'll see the cops. I'll put up some of the cops beating up on a black person that ain't doing nothing, asking them questions they would never ask a white person. And then it's mums the word from a lot of white people that follow me. And then the minute I say something, I put up a post about the pride parade, which mm-hmm. I thought was nonsense. And I hadn't spoken on it. And then a friend of mine asked me why I, I didn't have a comment on the pride parade. And I was like, well, you know, it, it's such a dumb thing to me. I, it just completely went over my head. I said, but let me look at it. I'll see. So I put up a post and I was like, oh, what happened in the pride parade? It's it, the, the not the pride, the um, not the pride parade, the white pride parade or whatever. Oh, not the oh, white oh. pride. What is it called? Um, the straight parade or something like that, the, where all these sort of white guys are getting together. Yeah, like, yeah. where's our parade? And I'm just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. you know, white people are constantly trying to like have a be acknowledged for something. And it's like, you, do you understand why people of color or people of uh, uh, different sexual preferences or religions are constantly being acknowledged for their No, things? they don't understand. They, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's of course like, they don't understand. It's not, it's not a like, I'm, some girl was like, why is it there a white history month? That's racist. That is a black history month. Oh, right. You're talking about the people People that were brought here and enslaved and and then once released from slavery wasn't even didn't even get their 40 acres in a mule and was had to learn how to survive in a country that already had rules that was completely set up against them and then despite that there are people of color that are able to excel despite the way they are being treated in this society and being pushed down and you don't think we should acknowledge them because oh you want to be acknowledged for what but what are you doing that you think you need to be acknowledged for and it's just this sort of like wanting to like be included and understanding that you are excluded from this thing unless you like reinvent something or invent something that's like better than breathing oxygen not every single thing has to be about you either it doesn't have to be about you you don't have to why is there a bet yeah first of all let's be really clear most black people ain't trying to get their show (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm saying that like please forgive me BT I've done a couple things but like that's the facts because it's like you know it, it's like nobody wants to just limit their thing to one thing anyway right. you know I don't mind doing shit on BT but I would also like to do I want to do things all over the place right, right. you know but the need for BT and why we say thank God that BT is there is because if not for BT where would people uh, black people put their their wares where would they sell their wares you know, I heard a white person complain about Martin and like, well, there's no white characters on Martin. I'm like, how are you out of your fucking mind? They had friends was in the fucking heart of New York City. You can't even blink without seeing a Mexican, a black person. Or so- you can't turn your head without seeing an Indian person, a black person, a Mexican person. It's something, something going on, the wheelchairs, crutches. And-, and you mean to tell me they found five Lily white people that look like they from Wisconsin to be in a all white cafe in an all white apartment building where all the streets where they were were white. Give me a break. (laughs) So when we have the answer to friends, which is like girlfriends, which came out or living single Uh or, you know, some show like that. And then it's like, well, there shouldn't be a show like that. When we have people complaining about, the little mermaid being black and it's like well that's the kind of like when you looking back that things were still so segregated when martin was on it was it things were kind of separate they were separate and so if there's not going to be black people on any of these shows 
They're going to have their own shows. And then now it is starting to get more blended together. And you can see the discomfort from white people well, when yeah, it does. Because they don't have to. The, the thing is, black people, people of color always have to be bothered with white people. White people don't always have to be bothered. Like I'm walking yeah. around like even in this area, I'm like, we, you know, like what's going on here? You know, this is deep, damn D.C. But I can guarantee you they have pushed the black people to some form of ghetto that's surrounding yeah. this little hub. They're doing that to Baltimore. They're yeah, doing that course. to Harlem. Like, it's constantly when white people come in, everybody's life has to change. It's already there, and they're moving people out. The, but this is why we have so many mass shootings, right? Because here's here, here's what it is. And I got into a, a discussion with a, a white male comic years ago about this because when Trump first got into office, he was like, I'm so sick of people saying I'm a white male and I'm bad and I'm not bad. I'm, I'm actually a foreigner because it's from another country. It's like, I'm actually a foreigner and I'm blah, blah, blah. And I don't get any benefits. And this and I said, so here's the reality. Any benefits you don't utilize as a white man is to your discredit because they are available to you. If you decide that you want to try to make something happen, it doesn't mean that it will, but it means you have a better chance. Your percentages are way higher than yeah. mine to get up, start a business, do something, do whatever you want. You have access to this entire world. So what has happened is there is a unspoken birthright that white men specifically have been given white women have it is to white people in general yes but a specific silent birthright that white men have been given and then what happens is when a white man who thinks that he's supposed to have access not more than another white man but yeah. more than a nigga that he see or some mexican or some this or that muslim or whatever he starts to flip out yeah. because he's like well they shouldn't be living this way if i'm not living this way when in reality he's already suffering because he was going to suffer anyway because the overall scheme of things is, has nothing to do with race race is a real pedestrian uh, issue that they let us bat around because it's simple-minded people that get involved in you me being better than you because of the color of my skin which is uncontrollable mm -hmm. versus uh if you we really thought about it and we weren't doing have all this division we probably all have more access because we would communally live in a way where we would allow people to spread the wealth around but nobody really wants to spread that wealth around white men just want to continue to marginalize so they feel better and 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 when i say that as a blanket statement a white man is well in his right to be offended, but I know it's not all white men, but I also don't have time to keep clarifying that it's not all white men. So yeah, like when right. you said you don't feel it's you, right. then it's you're somebody that I can appreciate because you can take in, uh, all right, this has nothing to do with me. This need, this is for other ears, whereas some people go, well, how come you keep saying just a general white man or yeah. white people? Well, because, you know, this is you know the reality of what's happening and i think it's dangerous to set up the narrative that white men get to get whatever they want because the minute that they don't they write manifestos and everyone that they think is responsible for them not getting access to what they want they are going to destroy or kill when in reality the people that are stopping them from getting access to what they want are white men like them that have more money and power than they do yeah absolutely yeah 100 percent. yeah because you the thing is, 
is you know you grow up in this society and then once you start getting faced with this stuff right you start mm-hmm. to like realize the truth and and w- what people have been saying all along but it w- was being ignored previously yeah. then you have to go through you you have to look at yourself and say like oh i I didn't know that I had all these advantages. I knew that I had some, like, you know, I knew that I grew up like in an okay neighborhood and Mm -hmm. like my parents were reasonable people and like I didn't have, I didn't get beaten or anything like terrible happened to me. So I knew that I had like some advantages, but I didn't know about these everywhere I walk advantages. Just every time I walk into a place, I'm treated a certain way. When I'm driving around, I'm treated a certain way. When I apply for jobs, I'm treated a certain way. You know, no. But you know they're all though that's all a fallacy, right? Because the reason why you have access to that is because other people also believe it. Yes, yes. And if they didn't believe it and if they started to check themselves, then the, it it wouldn't be. You know, I grew up in a upper middle class family in Maryland. I am not an anomaly of a black person in in this world. Do you understand? Yeah. But because they keep us so segregated from one another, the narrative is that most black people are poor. So whenever a poor white person sees a black person doing well, they think somehow this black person has found a way to cheat and rob the system and has taken something from them. When in all actuality, you're living the same way that they're living but you don't see them and they don't see you because we keep segregating ourselves. When white men complain that black men are taking all their women, I go, isn't <laughs> people say that yeah, out loud? They do. Well, these are even in these manifestos and shit like, black Oh, those men, guys. You know, yeah, like, yeah, for sure. yeah. 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 But, those the, guys, but yeah. the reality those is those guys never had any women. To good begin luck. With. Right. You never had women to begin with. And there's plenty of people that ain't there's you know, shit. I was, not getting a bunch of sex until just recently yeah but the real reality is if of all the black men are taking all your women ain't that a lucky day for you because you got a lot of black pussy available (laughs) because black women also ain't getting black men if the black men are going to the white women see people don't want to look at the whole thing they just want to have a pity party and something to put their finger on so that they can start to victimize and we have allowed white people to play victim here i don't get to play victim if the police pull me over because i'm a person of color and i don't get to play victim i have to answer for everything that that police officer asks me but because he sees himself in you he's not going to treat you that way because you become his brother because he would never want somebody to treat him that way right and it's all about just having access to being fair it's like when when people when you see a person of color getting shot by the police and people go why didn't they just comply but it's like also you know we all get agitated when the cops stop us yeah. Because when the cops stop us, it's a reality that we live in a world that we can't do whatever we want, right? That they do have access, whether they're right or not, to stop us and ask us questions. But the difference is they are less likely to tolerate me asking them why they're asking me questions and being insubordinate than a white person that is doing exponentially more than course, I am emotionally. Course. They're ready to you know, reduce them to something of calmness. So it's completely unfair. 
But that's why we, the people of color, are great at sports. We great at music. We great at all the pizzazz. White people can't get it sometimes. And that's <laughs> part of where you lose, right? Yeah. You got access to the whole world. You can walk around here and be as free as you want. But there's going to be niggas that can play basketball better than you, <laughs> can sing better than you, and got bigger dicks. <laughs> Although I've, you know, had sex with two white guys. Only one of them failed me. All right, 50%. It's 50%. That's all right. Do you think, do you feel like things are getting a little bit better? Any any better? You know, the older I get, the less I'm concerned about whether it's getting better or not. Just because we're going to die. Um, yeah, before it gets fixed. Before we, it doesn't matter. Like, the t- we don't know what's, if we were staying here forever, I'd be like, yeah, let's set up shop. We, none of us are staying here forever. Uh-huh. So at 40, my responsibility is to start to be good to myself and have a good life because my goal is to make it to 90, 95, something like that. You know, my goal is to live, and I, and this is for the young kids. I can leave footprints of what, of, or what we should be doing at this age is like we leave memoirs, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, here's where we were when we here. Here's the handbook. Now you go ahead and carry the handbook. Maybe you can make the time better for your time. But this whole leaving a legacy for the generation behind nobody left a legacy for us as much as they tried you can't i we can't you predict. don't think so no because we <laughs> when my grandparents died my mother said she now felt a shift in who she was because now she's my grandparents and she's the next on the docket to get the yeah. fuck up out of here and so now i've moved up to where my mother is and if i had children they would be where i am right. like we start to like okay Next off, next, we all just at the cliff. One generation's gone. Now you at the precipice. We wait, push you off. Now we there. It's, it, it's, and whoever is the asshole of my generation, they ain't changed. So they there being an asshole, no matter what the generation did before me, it is my responsibility to maybe try to make it better for my generation. But I don't know what's going to happen with these young kids. We can be examples, but we can't be doing all this trying to make it better for them Mm -hmm. because they're going to have to make this world their own. Mm -hmm. I just told my mother, I said, now that you grandma and them, right? And I'm I'm sure, you know, because she just became grandma and then we expect a long time because my grandparents were grandparents for a long long time. Uh I I ain't trying to live my world the way you lived it. Yeah, it's different now. It's completely different. I'm not interested in the rules that you set. Mm -hmm. And I, if I had a daughter or if I had a son, I ain't, I don't want them to be interested in what the rules that I set. Mm-hmm. I want them to go create their own thing. You figure out this racism thing. You figure out this sexism thing. Because every round has their own ideas. And that's when we start to become, this, there's a reason why they go, you, you become unrelatable at a certain point. Like a, a 15-year-old and a 75-year-old, if they wind up becoming friends that turns into a lifetime movie do you understand what i'm uh-huh. saying because it's not so natural special, yeah, it's uh-huh. not natural that 75 year old is living in a different reality than that 15 year old they're mm-hmm. never going to be able to relate but that 15 year old to another 15 year old can figure out how they can make their world and they are mm-hmm. it, this world is imperfect it's full of bullshit ass people but it's also full of beautiful nice people it can, I, as a Christian, I can tell you, I don't believe the world is not going to be, not be chaotic because I believe in heaven. Mm-hmm. I believe that there is heaven and hell. I believe that there's a different space that we need to be in that has, we have no control over. We still trying to control shit. We still trying to deny that there has to be a God. Like, uh, 
motherfuckers don't understand like how ridiculous they think it is that there's a God and how ridiculous they think it is that I believe in Jesus, but somehow they think some atom blew up and that we just evolved from and crawled out of the motherfucking water. Sure, that can be a reality. I'm not going to tear it down, but you can't believe something as nonsensical as that and then tell me because I believe my guy walked on water and fed pe- people with five loaves of f- fish and bread that I'm I'm not. We all living in a fantasy world and ain't nobody been able to verify and fact check none of the shit neither <laughs> yeah. one of us have said. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know I can't and you can't. Yeah. It's all about faith. So you you do believe in a religion. You do believe in something. You have faith that that explosion happened and that we've been millions of years. I mean, if this is all we've able to be at in millions of years, we failed the entire system that I would hope millions of years of generation would have progressed us beyond, uh, walking with feet uh-huh. and just now getting scooters that and city bikes have you been on a scooter i want to be on a scooter it's pretty fun the thing is i'm clumsy i did a city bike um with another comic friend of mine pat brown who was super amazing she just did um two dope queens nice. i have a big butt and it got tired i i was the on bi- the bike on the bike now i'm a bicycling kid i was i remember getting my i begging for a 12 speed because a 10 speed I'd, i was like fuck this 10 speed and getting a 12 speed and my grandfather uh, making me put it together and me fucking it up and then him having to <laughs> completely take it apart and put it back together. So I'm a bike kid. Mm-hmm. But there has been a good maybe 25 years since I put my buns on a bike and it shows. Yeah. Um, and I tried <laughs> to also do it in New York City where if you bike in New York City, there should be an award for that with the amount of buses. Oh, that's insane. And, and, yeah, I don't know how car- people do that. People do it and don't pay the slightest bit of attention. I was so aware. I went, we went f- 10 blocks and two avenues. And when I was done, I was like, I need to write a book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> was so, I was so happy when my wife sold her bike. Cause she would ride it to work sometimes. Yes. And I'm like, you're going to die, man. You, you were nervous. Yeah. Why just- did she sell it? She got tired of biking. Uh, I don't remember if it was, yeah, it just wasn't, uh, where she was working, I guess I think she, it didn't make sense for her okay. to ride her bike, and she just wasn't riding it much. And we didn't have room in our apartment for it, so right, she, right, right, we, right, right. We were living in a big house, and we moved into an apartment, uh, like in a big group house. And so, Is, how there was, was that? You, communal living? Yeah, yeah. I had a professor that was in very big into communal living, and like uh, I think they were like on an ashram or something like that. They lived in some type of. Uh, she would do it every summer, and. That's the kind of stuff I like that because that's like generational. That's like family. That's like, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, if you're living with the right people, that's like support. Yeah. It, it, yeah, exactly. If you're with the right people, it's really yeah. cool. And then if you're with the wrong people, it's bad. Yeah, it is bad. But yeah, there's a lot of group houses in D.C. because the rent is very expensive and there's a lot of like big uh, row homes and stuff that. Yeah. That are like five bedroom places that are easy to just divide up and everybody gets a room right right um, right 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 so yeah we did that for like i don't know four years or something um so that was that was cool i'm trying to reduce my i want a teeny live oh yeah i want a teeny live but now i feel like i want to have kids now so maybe i i don't think i can do it but nah. i love the teeny living i i mean my apart i think my apartment's too big and i have a huge apartment and because i live in harlem yeah uh in new york so it's like 
Harlem is the last place where they really came in and, you know, stuff from the Harlem Renaissance and it's a lot of historical stuff there. So the apartment space is just really huge compared to like my friends who pay mm. 10 times more than I do and they live deeper like in or the middle of the city. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I like small um, spaces because I just like to live uh, with just me. But I grew up in, in the house with my grandparents and, you know, everybody kind of had the own, their own floor that they were on. My, my aunt loved being in the basement. Weird. I, I'm more. She loved a bed. She had our TV set up. She had a little apartment. She, my aunt had special needs, so oh, okay. she was never able to leave home. So oh, okay. at a certain point, it was like let's give let her feel like she has her own little apartment oh, that's cool. and stuff like that. Yeah, so that's nice. she lived downstairs mostly, and uh, my grandmother took the kitchen area and the living room was all her thing. So she had the first floor. My grandfather loved being upstairs in the bedroom and all that, you know, and, and watching his TV. And I would stay up in the attic and I would read. So we were all, everybody was occupied a space. So I feel like I sort of probably lived like you lived before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> same thing. Yeah. Do you ever do any radio? My mother was a radio personality. You, I think you could do radio. Everybody says that. I don't, I remember I was in the studio with my mom a lot growing up. Um, my mother had me when she was in college, uh, much to the chagrin of my grandparents. Uh -huh. My mother fell in love with my father. And of course I had to come out the world when that's I what out. happens yeah yeah and so my mother was a communications major and she so I've been around radio a lot and I would help her put stack the decks when she worked for the big dm 101 fm in South Carolina and I would pull carts for her back I mean I don't know what they do now I'm sure it's more digital and computer operated but back in the grunt work of it all they had to you had to you know you would get your song list for the hour and then you have to pull the carts so that they'd be ready so I yeah, would pull yeah. her carts that's all fun. the time yeah and then I would like, you know, play around. But she had the big, you know, this is Mickey Moore with the Big DM 101 FM. Like, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, so I would do all that kind of stuff. But I don't think I have the patience for radio. Really? No, I do a podcast. That's enough. But I'm just like, Ugh. how long have you been doing your podcast? Um, Probably like four years now. I yeah I well I started off I did it with a really good comedy friend of mine Chloe Hilliard mm -hmm. and uh, we have guests on and it's just me just ranting it's called ranting and raving with Yamanika and yeah, friends yeah. and oh yeah I just, yeah yeah I just kind of play around with it I think we're getting more serious I think that's the thing too like I'm I, I there's so many things that I'm proficient in that we really just kind of like need to lock in and I never think about monetizing things and they're just like well you know, let's do this. Like, even now, like, I, I'm so overdue for being in the Writers Guild and then just, like, what do you do? They're hitting me up all the time. And I'm just like, I know, but I can write. And they're like, yeah, bitch, but you got to write with us. What does that mean? What They want you to you, do something specific? You know, it's just like SAG. At some point, you can't not be in SAG once you've generated enough work. You don't want to be in it, though? No, I would love to. It's just the procrastination with oh, me yeah, on yeah. certain things business wise yeah, yeah. is why also I have to take responsibility why you ain't never heard of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so, it's so true. It's so true. But I, that's why I'm so grateful. Like when I get a big project, yeah. I ain't got no choice because everybody is on it. Like from my manager to my lawyer, to my agent, like bitch, Come on. And yeah, like, yeah. Okay, I got to, you know, focus in on that. But if Yamanika's left to her own devices, Yamanika would be doing stand-up on the corner for free. That's just funny. Like hanging with <laughs> yeah. people and just I don't think about monetizing myself at all. That's yeah. why I stay losing. 
yeah yeah you just gotta you just need a place for people to be able to find you so all the people who are into it when they see you and they're like why don't i know you and then you're yeah. like listen to the well, podcast yeah, you know you will it. know me you can yeah. hear me uh, you can hear me all the time and then uh next thing you know he's it's where to go yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, you want to promote anything before we go? We just talked about your uh, podcast and you got the show coming up in New York. Yes. So I'm at the Gramercy Theater, August 23rd, Mm -hmm. um, which is a a big theater. And that's my last theater for a while Mm because I need to just do clubs. And uh, Rant and Raven, I I tape my uh, scenes for, for True TV's Last Mob. In September, so that probably will come out like October or November. So that you know that'll be coming up soon. And yeah, I just have the podcast and you know working on some projects. So yeah, yeah, we're ha- we're having a good time. Well, thanks very much for doing this. Thanks for having me. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com. <laughs>